0: This morning we're going to acknowledge and imagine can I move that sorry we're going to acknowledge and imagine God's kingdom his heaven coming down and touching us this morning because we're going to look at prayer and we're going to look at sorry We're going to look at prayer and we're going to look, acknowledge and imagine God's presence here this morning. God is present here with us this morning. Hallelujah. And we're going to acknowledge and imagine his purposes for us. And we're going to acknowledge and imagine his provision for us. We're going to imagine those three things because those three things are the three key platforms of how Jesus, when asked by his disciples, Lord, how should we pray? Jesus said, this is how I want you to pray. And I just think it's quite amazing that even when I just said that, here Jesus was, we we read in Matthew 6, 5 to 15, we, hang on, we've got to go right back, guys, to the start, I think. And when we, up, uh, yeah. <laughs> someone help me, please. <laughs> it should be the start, that's it, thank you, sorry. So we're going to imagine that everything's working well. <laughs> and I'm going to be able to do this well. But when Jesus said this, he was with, when Jesus was with his disciples, and we have to imagine what life was like at that point because his disciples had been with Jesus day in, day out. They had seen Jesus uh, working, healing, teaching. They'd seen him when they um eating with him. They'd seen him sleeping and they'd seen him going off and praying. And these were good Jewish boys. They'd been raised in Jewish homes, so they knew how to pray. They knew that they would go and say specific prayers because they'd been shown this way by the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. The religious leaders that would stand on the street corners and in the synagogues and pray long-winded, wordy, ostentatious prayers. So these good Jewish boys that were disciples of Jesus knew exactly what to do. And yet they see something else modelled. They see their leader doing something radically different when he prayed. And so despite their background and despite their family training and despite their culture and their inheritance, they say to Jesus, teach us to pray. And that is something really radical for these Jewish boys. And so Jesus doesn't reject them. He doesn't say to them, no, you know how to pray. He goes ahead and he says, yes, I'll teach you to pray. And that's how we come to know the Lord's Prayer. And my prayer this morning is that as we unpack those three platforms, acknowledging and imagining God's beautiful presence, acknowledging and imagining God's marvellous purpose for us, acknowledging and imagining his amazing provision for us, I hope you'll leave here totally Changed, totally radicalised by the Lord's Prayer in a way that you had never encountered it before. Because Jesus tells us not to pray like the religious leaders of the day. Instead, he says, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Many years ago when we lived in Emerald in the Dandenongs, I had a walk-in robe. And in that walk-in robe, I had a Bible, a candle, a notebook and a pen. And I literally took these words to be true and I used that walk-in robe to pray. And I would pray roughly for an hour every day and I did that for a long time. And my prayer life had never been so incredibly exhilarating, so incredibly exciting, so incredibly present, so incredibly real. And to my shame, over the years since, I've become so busy that I'd stop that practice for quite some time. I let other things crowd in. And, you know, I really understand when Jesus says, remove yourself, take time out to pray, the amazing difference it makes. And I encourage you to take time out, to, to make a prayer closet. It may not have to be a physical prayer closet but a space somewhere to come into the awesome presence of God and wait and wait for him because then your father will see what is done in secret and he'll reward you. And keep it simple. Keep it simple and keep it honest and keep it Heart to heart, because Jesus gives us an outline for prayer in the next few verses. Why pray? Why pray? Philip Yancey says in his wonderful book, if prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes, why God doesn't act the way we want God to and why I don't act the way God wants me to. They're the two themes that converge when we come to pray. We understand God's viewpoint. You know, this little road here is a road that I um, used to drive up when I lived in Emerald in the Danny Dandenong's. It's the road between Emerald and Cockatoo and everyone knows that it. It's called Paternoster Road and it's a steep, windy road and when you get to the top of this road, you look out and you see this most amazing vista. You look right across the Dandenongs. It's a 360-degree view and it's magnificent. And, and for 10 years, I used to drive up this road and I never even knew the name or what this name meant And in researching for this sermon, I realised that paternoster means our Father. That's what paternoster means. And it got me to thinking about prayer and what God means for us when we pray. And basically, God means for us that when we pray, we tend to approach prayer as this incredible, hard thing that it's this mountain we've got to climb to even come and still ourselves into his presence. But, you know, when we get to the top, we actually lose sight of our own issues, our own needs, and we start to take on board God's vista, God's vista for our world, God's vista for our life. And that is the essence of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It isn't about us. It's about God's purposes for us. It's about his presence in our life and it's about his wonderful provision for us if we put those first two first. So the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, we know it by rote, don't we? We say it by rote. In fact, when we say it, we probably... Mumble these words without really taking in the profound and radical nature of what they mean. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, prior to Jesus' time, No one in the Old Testament really addressed God as their father. They addressed him as Yahweh. They addressed him as this holy, wonderful, great God that was full of power and awesomeness. But as a father, no. In fact, our father is only mentioned seven times in the Old Testament and then usually in indirect ways. In the New Testament, Jesus comes And he absolutely radicalises our relationship and our response to God. He mentions our relationship to God as our father 170 times. So what's he saying? He's saying, I want you to shift from coming into God's presence as this mighty, holy God that is wrathful and judging to Abba, Daddy, Father. And that's just a radical shift. It was a radical shift for the disciples in Jesus' day and it's a radical shift for us as well. You know, what does a father do? When you think about a good father, a father protects, a father nurtures, a father nourishes, a father guides, a father provides, a father loves. A father never, ever deserts his child. A father always believes in the very best for his child. That's what Jesus is saying when he's saying, our father, I want you to come to God with a different approach. I want you to acknowledge and imagine his presence in a very different and powerful way. I want you to imagine him as never giving up on you as loving you completely and fully and you know many of us have had a tough time in our upbringing and sometimes the fathers that we've had have not been the model that God intended but God is saying i don't it it, it no longer matters about that That when you move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, when you ask me into your life, you know what? I become your DNA. I become your new father. And with that, I I just want to give you all that I have, all that I am. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that radical and life changing? The first thing Jesus wants us to do is to remove ourselves and spend time focusing on this incredible truth that God is our Father. He is a Father of love. He's a Father that wants to give us his blessing. It's the first and fundamental point of this prayer. And he wants us to acknowledge his incredible name, that despite there's a duality here, there's a duality of uh, God being our daddy and all that is encompassed with that as well as his greatness. Hallowed be your name means his greatness. We need to acknowledge and imagine not only his intimacy with us but his greatness as well. Hallowed be your name. Lord, you are worthy. When you come to pray, spend the majority of your time focusing on that. This is the pattern that Jesus taught us to pray. Spend the majority acknowledging his presence, his intimacy, his greatness. And then we need to acknowledge his purpose for us. And I think this is the key to the way Jesus patterned this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever asked, Lord, what is your will for me in my life? I know I have. What is your perfect path for me? Lord, I need direction. I need guidance. Jesus radically comes and says, You don't need to ask that question because the answer is always going to be I want what will further the kingdom of God which is modelled now fully in heaven and I want you to be part of modelling that kingdom here on earth. That's the answer. That's the answer to our question What is the will for our lives? I want you to be part of bringing the kingdom of heaven into this kingdom on earth. That's what this means. Your kingdom come. What is God's kingdom? What really does that mean? God's kingdom. Well, listen to some scriptures about God's kingdom. Luke 9.60 says, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Luke 9.62 says, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the service for the kingdom of God. Luke 10.9 says, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Luke twenty two sixteen says, "For I tell you, I will not eat it again." Jesus said, "Until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God." And lastly, Luke twenty two eighteen says, "For I tell you, I will not drink again." Jesus says, "Of the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes." So the kingdom of God is to be proclaimed. The kingdom of God we are to join with Jesus in being of service for the kingdom of God. We are to fulfill the kingdom of God, and yet the kingdom of God hasn't completely come yet. It's so it's so confusing. And yet Luke 17:20 20 to 21 says, "The kingdom of God does not come." with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. That's powerful. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God, what I now experience in heaven, is now residing in you, and I want you, your will, my will for you, is to go out into this world, this earthly kingdom and express in whatever way you can the living kingdom of God that is within you to this kingdom on earth. The kingdom of God is not something external that we wait for. It's within us, waiting to be born on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray thy kingdom come, we're not making a request, we're making a vow we're pledging our willingness to allow God's kingdom to be established in and through us. If the kingdom of God is within me and God relies on me to further his kingdom on earth like it is in heaven, then I've totally missed the point of understanding what it means to pray. Prayer becomes much less of me and more of God's will being done in and through me. Once this is established, then my needs become less significant to me, less prominent or urgent. They are repositioned, realigned with God's perfect will for me and my needs become less because they are always centred on what is going to help build God's kingdom. You know, the kingdom of God is described in so many different ways. It's compared to a seed. It's compared to yeast. It's compared to a hidden treasure, a pearl of great price. It's small and it's easy to miss, yet it has great power and worth. The kingdom of God is usually opposite to what we expect. It is a kingdom founded on grace rather than works. It's grounded in love rather than legalism and it's open to all rather than a few. And most important is the kingdom that is most concerned about those who have been ignored, neglected, or even oppressed by the kingdoms of this world. Donald Crable, in his book The Upside Down Kingdom, says that the kingdom of God is an inverted or upside down way of life that contrasts with our current social order. In this upside down kingdom, the first shall be last. And the last shall be first. The exalted will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted. Sinners are forgiven and welcomed while the self-righteous are chastised. The poor are blessed and the rich are condemned. The lost are found and the dead are made alive. This is the language of the kingdom of God. You know, imagine... If my first desire was to adore God's greatness and marvel at His closeness, imagine how this would help to establish God's kingdom here on earth. Imagine if my second desire, greatest desire, when I come to pray, was to see this earth become more like His heaven, and to discern my part in that. Imagine how earth would be changed. How imagine how my faith would be enlivened. Imagine how my needs, like coming to the top of Paternoster Road, would be able to be in in line with God's needs and I'd get a different slant on my own neediness when I understood God's purposes. Imagine. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine if the two billion Christians that are in this world really took on board those first two points as far more significant than their own personal needs. Imagine how this world would be radicalised. Imagine. Did last Sunday's service change your thinking and call you to action this week? It was a wonderful service. We heard how God had changed people's lives. Did it change your life? During the week, did you visit someone that was in need? Did you make one phone call to encourage someone this week? Did you give to a Christian mission? Did you sit by a friend and pray with them this week? Did you move out of your comfort zone and say yes to a ministry of helps this week? Imagine if we took seriously what Jesus is wanting to teach us with his prayer today. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God is always to make earth like heaven. And it won't be fully realised until Jesus comes back again but we have a part to play because the kingdom of God is within us. And you know, I know some of you, I know that some of you go and visit people every week and no one knows about it, but sometimes we know. I know some of you go and visit people in prison once a month and take a team with you. I know that some of you, even though you're chronically ill, take an RE class every week despite the severe illness that you suffer. I know that some of you pray because you can't get out and drive, but you pray for people in this church and for their needs every day. I know that you are building the kingdom of heaven here on earth. But what about the rest of us? Are we challenged here this morning in our workplace to be the light, to bring the kingdom of heaven into our workplace, in our school to be the kingdom of light, to bring heaven into our school, into our family homes, into our relationships? You see, I also know that some of you are struggling, like me, with selfishness, with pride, with wanting our own way, with not not understanding our partner's needs, our husband's, our wives' needs. I know. And Jesus is saying, if you pray this prayer, you'll be changed. You'll be radically changed. And yet... Our wills are just so, so strong, aren't they? You know, even Jesus found it difficult to do the will of the Father. We read in John chapter 11 where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And, you know, that was an incredible miracle. He raised a dead man from the dead. And you know what he did? He prayed a two-second prayer before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, Father, just so that these people know that I am in you and you are in me and that I love you, I'm going to do this particular ministry so that they will glory and honour you. That's what he said. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. An astounding miracle, a short prayer. And then I have to ask you a question. What has been the one most profound, significant event in all of history that has brought the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth? What do you think it is? Sorry? It's the cross. It's the death of Jesus. That was the one most significant event that brought the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth. And yet we read that Jesus, even Jesus, wrestled with fulfilling his Father's will for this very purpose. He wrestled all night to the point where he dropped, he sweated drops of blood. So he understands how hard it is for us to give over our wills so that they're in line with his will. He understands, but then what does he say? Yet not my will, but yours. My question, you, it's all about surrendering. It's all about surrendering our lives. The kingdom is profound. The kingdom is radical. It's not about what I need more of. It's about why I need less of, and I need less of me and more of God. I need less of me. I need to surrender more of me every day in order to acknowledge and fulfil his purposes here on earth. May your kingdom come, Lord God. May you show me how I can further your kingdom. It might just be in small little ways, but how do you want me to further your kingdom here on earth? as it is in heaven. That is your will for me. And every day, Lord, as I wrestle with that, as I drive up that Paternoster Road and I struggle to get a view of your view for my life, for this world, Lord, help me to surrender that little bit more every day, to surrender that will. Just a little bit more. Brendan Manning says, Uncompromising trust in the love of God inspires us to thank God for the spiritual darkness that envelops us, for the loss of income, for the nagging arthritis that is so painful and to pray from the heart, Abba, into your hands I entrust my body, mind and spirit this entire day, morning, afternoon, evening and night. Whatever you want of me, I want of me. Falling into you and trusting in you in the midst of life. Into your heart I entrust my heart. Feeble, distracted, insecure, uncertain. Abba, unto you I abandon myself in Jesus our Lord. Amen. Because just as Annie read in Revelation 21, the kingdom of heaven is what God wants for us now here on earth. And then everything else just falls into place. And that is true. I, 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 it's from God's word. I cannot stress this enough. You see, we come to prayer with prayer tipped upside down. We come to prayer and we say, oh, God, God, Father God, yes, please, Lord, I need, I need, I want, I want. And we totally tip prayer up the wrong way. And God, what God is saying is if you come to me and you spend time with me acknowledging who I am to whom you're speaking to, if you come to me and you you, you, hallow, you totally worship my name, you call my name hallowed, you acknowledge my greatness, if you are serious about making this earth like the kingdom of heaven, and and you give over a little bit more every day in the pursuit of that, then all the other things that are contained in this prayer, which is God's provision for us, will follow. I, I promise you, because it's from God's word. Jesus knew that we needed bread. You know, the whole of our lives is sacred, not just our time with God in spiritual pursuits. But God knows and God cares about the provision of bread for our lives. He wouldn't have had this in this prayer. And he lived with the disciples and and he knew that the disciples needed food. He lived on earth for 33 years. He knew that we needed our everyday bread. But he also needed, he also knew that our daily bread was not just physical bread but spiritual food, the word of God. Imagine a world where everyone is adequately fed. Imagine a world where everyone has heard the word of God. Imagine how this would help to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And I find it so fascinating that God wants us to forgive to be forgiven, and he wants us to forgive others. And this is part of his provision for us. And we think, why is this your provision, Lord God? I don't understand why forgiveness is your provision. But I have to tell you that forgiveness is the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given to us because it frees us. It sets us free from shame, from guilt, from temptations. It sets us free. And I know that in my own practice here that one of the things that I strive for is to enable people to understand God's incredible provision through his forgiveness for us. Many years ago, and I certainly don't want to go into detail about the sin, but you just need to know that before I came, became a Christian, I actually uh, carried around a burden of an enormous sin in my life. And after I became a Christian, I, I went and I, I had some prayer healing and I understood that part of my release and part of my freedom meant that I had to seek God's forgiveness for my part in this sin. And when I did that, I was released. But I also had to forgive others that were involved in this sin upon me. And I found that hard, but I did. And I went away and I felt released, but I still had this nagging sense that I wasn't completely free. And it wasn't until some years later that I went back for more counselling and more prayer healing And the woman that was counselling said to me, have you forgiven yourself? And I hadn't. I had asked God's forgiveness and accepted God's forgiveness. I had forgiven others, but I hadn't realised I needed to forgive myself. And when I did that, I was released. But, you know, I, I came to understand that while I wasn't forgiving myself, what I was saying was, Jesus, your death on the cross was not enough for me it's not enough, I'm so bad, this has been so bad, it's just not enough and I realised I was sinning and Jesus is saying to us, we need forgiveness for our sins but we need to forgive others and he knows how significant this is and what a difference this makes to us that he actually mentions it again at the end of this prayer, that we must forgive others. Otherwise, Jesus, God will not forgive us. We must forgive. It's God's provision. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That if we're caught and bound in guilt and bondage and pain and hurt, that God has got a gift, a provision of his forgiveness for us. And lastly, he says, Lead us not into temptation. You know, just before Jesus gave this model of prayer to his disciples, he was tempted. He was taken away by the Spirit and there he was tempted, it says in Matthew 4, by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted. He knew what it meant to be tempted. We're all tempted. We all have issues in our lives that we know it's so easy to cross that line, to go there and say, oh, it won't hurt, Lord. It's just, you know, I'm just doing this this day, just this once. It's so easy to be tempted. And Jesus is saying, lead us not down that path. People, don't even start. It's not the thought of temptation. It's actually... Um, acting upon that temptation. And it's no, no. um, uh, the, the two are together and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one because we know from Scripture that the devil is the greatest tempter that there is. I find it interesting when you read Genesis 3 and you see when Eve ate the the fruit, that uh, when God came and said to Adam, what have you done? And he said, oh, it was the woman. And then then when um, God came to Eve and Eve said, what have you done? And she said, oh, it was the devil. And so we all have this thing of blaming someone else. But all the while, the devil is working away there. He's stirring the pot. He's having his influence. He's leading us to be tempted and God knows, God knows that that is something that is so real for us as Christians that have crossed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Imagine, imagine coming into the Father's presence. Imagine surrendering not only your will but your baggage so you are truly free Imagine a world where you are free from emotional pain. Imagine a world where every Christian is aware of the devil's influence in their lives. Imagine where every Christian seeks to discern and overcome through the power and deliverance of the blood of Jesus Christ. Imagine how this would help to establish God's kingdom here on earth. you know, as we wind up, I just really am going to pray. I'm going to pray this Lord's prayer, the Our Father, the Paternoster. and as I do, I really want you to acknowledge and imagine first of all His presence, <coughs> then His provision, sorry, then His purpose, and then His provision. And I would love to challenge you this week as we go out. Don't come to God with a quick takeaway prayer. Come to God taking time longer than you normally would to bask in his presence. Understand about his kingdom's plan and purpose for your life. And then offer up a few petitions. It's okay. But try it in that order and just see for a week if your life doesn't radically change. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, Abba, Daddy, you are in heaven now, but you are great. Your name is to be exalted. May your kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven and may that be your will for every one of us. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins and debts as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. But Lord, may we, may we be empowered to go out affecting the kingdom of earth with the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God that lives and reigns within us. In Jesus' name, amen.